Hello, I'm Rabbi Mark Gelman, and welcome to The God Squad, a podcast you can believe in. Today we're talking about the third thing we hear all the time that we're supposed to believe is true, but is not true. And that is, all I want is that my children should be happy. The first lesson of this saying, all I want is that my children should be happy, is that <laughs> it's, it's wrong. Because it turns out that being happy is less like something you can achieve and more like something you either have or you don't have. Wishing that your children should be happy is sort of like wishing that they be tall or beautiful or good in math. They either are or they aren't. And sadly, there's not much you can do about it, not much they can do about it. Psychologists and social scientists who have researched this topic of human happiness are univocal. They're all on the same page, really, in their conclusions that happiness is much more like an attribute than an acquisition. There's a lot in the psychological literature about something called our happiness set point. The studies seem to support the view that just like our natural weight varies from person to person, so too our capacity to be happy seems to be mostly the result of nature, not nurture. Not totally, but mostly. Any parent or grandparent in this room who has seen two kids come from the same mother and father, and one of them was born to fetch, born to complain. And the other one seems to have been born with the ability to see the silver lining in every dark cloud. You can see that. They had the same nurture, but it's a different attribute. The fact of the matter is, happy and happyologists are not totally deterministic. Their research shows that we can affect the happiness of our children and ourselves to some small but still significant degree. Things like the jobs we choose to do, the schools we attend, the money we make, all have some discernible impact on our happiness. That's the good news. The bad news is that the factors we do, we do control only account for about 10 to 15 percent of what the happyologists call our subjective sense of well-being, which is psychobabble for how good we judge life to be. 85 to 90 percent of the reasons we are happy or sad are due to things out of our control, like our innate temperament, our basic personality type. Whereas the psychologist and researcher Alex Mikolos succinctly put it, when it comes to subjective well-being, you don't get a big bang out of the real world. So let us consider for a moment what we can do to marginally adjust our natural happiness set point. The big revelation here from both faith and the happyologists 
is that the things we think matter most in making us happy actually matter least. And the things we think matter least actually matter most. Reported research tends to confirm the exact opposite of what we are taught by conventional wisdom to believe. For example, beautiful people are not happier than people who are, uh, there's a Yiddish term for this, it's a miskite. <laughs> it means someone who is a little bit ugly. Look, read, read the, the tabloids and you'll have a litany of stories of depressed and unhappy, beautiful people. Young people are not happier than old people. Actually, elderly folks are happier than kids, mostly, because they, they remember less. And the first things we forget are the bad stuff. Smart people are not happier than people who are intellectually challenged. Smart people generally are burdened by their understanding of all the things that can go wrong in life. Educated people are not happier than uneducated people. Education tends to raise expectations that the world often cannot meet. So, if the things we think will make us happy really don't, what does? Well, simple things, prosaic things make us happy. You know, bread makes us happy. I guess it's not good, it has too many carbs in it, but bread makes us happy. Maybe that's the secret of the Jewish blessing over the bread, the motzi. You are blessed, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. Why bless bread? The best lesson I ever learned about the Mozi came from a story about William Paley, the former chairman and czar at CBS. The president of CBS under Paley was a friend of ours, Tom Leahy, and he told me of his many dinners at the Paley Mansion on Shelter Rock Road on Long Island, each dinner would begin with a strange ritual in which Paley would hold a fresh-baked roll, and after caressing it and smelling it <laughs> in an almost erotic way, he would then break it apart and eat it slowly. When asked if there was any meaning behind the dinner roll ritual, Paley said to Tom, Look, Tom, if, if I can appreciate bread... I can appreciate everything else that has been given to me. Happiness comes from gratitude, and gratitude starts with the most meager and basic blessings. We must learn to be happy from our bread up to our luxuries, and not from our luxuries down to our bread. Most of the things that make us happy are like bread. They are prosaic. They are common. They are not glamorous, but they are essential. High self-esteem makes us happy because narcissists tend not to be as depressed as people with a low self-image. A good sense of humor makes people happy. <laughs> God, I hope so. Friendship and other social skills make us happy. Surprisingly, studies show that being with friends makes us happier generally than being with family or children. Don't tell your family or your kids that. Free time makes us happy. Activities that combine socializing and moderate physical skills 
are the best. Socializing and moderate physical skills. Hey, that's why golf is the best sport. Volunteering makes people happy. In one study, volunteering actually made people happier than anything except dancing. The social connection and the chance to do something meaningful are what make volunteering fun. Being pleased frequently has more influence on well-being than being intensely happy only occasionally. And finally, religion makes people happy. Not because of sermons. <laughs> I think sermons generally make people unhappy, and I've given a lot of sermons. No, religious affiliation makes people happy because it fosters community ties and social networks. So you see, what we think matters most in the quest for happiness does not matter that much. And what we don't think matters actually matters a great deal. So when we say all I want is for my children to be happy, we, we don't really know what we're saying because it's wrong. The notion, by the way, that money buys happiness remains one of our most spiritually corrosive illusions. Now, I don't want to coerce you here. Some of you proudly follow the philosopher Spike Mulligan, who taught in his Las Vegas lounge act. Money can't buy you happiness, but it does bring you a more pleasant form of misery. Some of you, no doubt, are followers of the teaching of Henny Youngman, who taught in his stand-up commentary to life. What's the use of happiness? It can't buy you money. <laughs> Again, the research of the happyologists is overwhelmingly clear. Money is good, but once you make enough to meet the basic needs of shelter and food, more money does not make you discernibly happier. Happiness is just not connected to wealth, and believing that it only diverts us from the joy of our given and glorious blessings. It diverts us. Unquestionably, the striving for wealth is the most corrosive force in destroying our capacity for true happiness. A story I heard from God knows where. An American investment banker was at the pier of a small coastal Mexican village when a small boat with just one fisherman docked inside the small boat were several large yellowfin tuna. The banker complimented the Mexican on the quality of his fish and asked how long it took to catch them. The Mexican replied, only a uh, a little while, senor. The banker then asked why he didn't stay out longer and catch more fish. The fisherman explained that he had enough to support his family's immediate needs. The banker then asked, but what do you do with the rest of your time? The fisherman said, oh, I sleep late, I fish a little, play with my children. I take a siesta with my wife, Maria. A stroll into the village each evening where I sip wine and play guitar with my amigos. I have a full and busy life, senor. The banker scoffed. Look, I'm a Harvard MBA and I can help you. You should spend more time fishing and with the proceeds, buy a bigger boat. And with the proceeds from the bigger boat, you could buy several boats. Eventually, you would have a fleet of fishing boats. Instead of selling your catch to a middleman, 
you would sell directly to the processor, eventually opening your own cannery. You would control the product, processing, and distribution. You would need to leave this small coastal fishing village, of course, and move to Mexico City and then Los Angeles and eventually New York City, where you will run your expanding enterprise. The fisherman asked, but senor, how long will this take? To which the banker replied, oh, 15, 20 years. But what then, senor, asked the fisherman. The banker laughed and said, well, when the time is right, you would announce an IPO and sell your company stock to the public and become very rich. You would make millions. The fisherman's mouth was agape, and he said, millions, senor? Then what? The banker said, oh, this is the best part. Then you could retire. You could move to a small coastal fishing village in Mexico. You could sleep late, fish a little, play with your children, take siesta with your wife Maria, stroll into the village each evening where you could sip wine and play your guitar with your amigos. (laughs) The rabbis taught, who is rich? One who is happy with his lot. An executive vice president of IBM was speaking at his retirement luncheon. Tommy and I were there to give the invocation. And in front of all the young, eager, and ambitious gaggle of vice presidents, he said this. I'll never forget it. He said, I know that every one of you in this room want my job, and I'm going to tell you how you can get it. When my daughter was married, I walked her down the aisle. All that, at that moment of my daughter's life, her happiest day, I realized that I did not know her favorite color. I did not know the last book she read or the name of her best friend. I realized that I knew really nothing about my daughter. That is the price I paid to get the things I thought would make me happy. So if you are willing to pay that price, you can have my damn job. Who is rich? One who is happy with his lot. Yet another reason happiness is not all we should want for our children is that being good is much more important than being happy. In fact, being good is the only way to happiness that all the faith traditions I know about unambiguously endorse. What we ought to wish for our children is a life where what makes them happy is also what makes them good. Tommy told me that Mother Teresa's business card, and I saw it actually, has no had no addresses on it. It had no phone number on it. Just on one side of the card, it said Mother Teresa, and under under her name were these words: "Happiness is the natural fruit of duty." <laughs> Getting married, having children, caring for our parents, and being honest in our work are all good, dutiful, virtuous things, but they all do not make us happy all of the time, or even most of the time. 
They produce virtue, but they do not always produce happiness. The best things we do are not necessarily the things that produce the most happiness. They are the things that produce the most goodness. And that is what we ought to wish for our children and ourselves. Happiness for our culture is basically pleasure, and pleasure is essentially selfish. Happiness for the great wisdom traditions and religions of the world is basically goodness, and goodness is essentially self-transcending. Pleasure points us inward, while goodness points us to each other and to God. So how about just being happy that your kids are good and letting everything else just melt away before the warm knowledge that you have raised up mensches, good people? So if what you really mean when you say, all I want is that my children should be happy, is really something more like, all I want is that my children are already happy now because they are already grateful and good, because they are already secure and funny, because they are already curious and courageous, loving and loyal, positive, playful and pious. If that's what you mean, if that is what you want for your children and for the children of your children and for the children of your children's children, that is terrific. That's what I want for my children too. And that is what God wants for all God's children. That is what God wants. I'm Rabbi Mark Gelman. Thanks for listening to The God Squad. The God Squad podcast is a production of the Mark Gelman Institute. And this episode was produced by Matthew Siegel at Silicon Bowery. Until next time, you can find us on Google, Apple, Spotify, and many other fine podcast locations. I'd love to hear from you at rabbi at godsquadpodcast.com. God bless us, one and all.